you might have heard a saying, what gets measured gets managed. That's especially true when it comes to your health and biomarkers. If you don't know what's the state of your body, then it's hard to know whether or not something is working. That's why I think it's quite mandatory to take a blood test at least a few times a year. Let's Get Checked is an at-home health testing service that can be used to easily and quickly measure your biomarkers. They offer tests for different vitamins, hormones, thyroid functioning, liver health, kidney functioning and general sexual health. It works in three simple steps. First, you deliver the test to your doorstep. Then you collect the blood sample and send it back. Once your sample is back in the lab, your results will be available within two to five days. You'll also get 24-7 access to a team of dedicated nurses who you can call to interpret your results. You can get a 20% discount off all their tests by using the code SEAMLUND at letsgetchecked.com. Check out the link in the show notes or use the code SEAMLUND at letsgetchecked.com. And that, I think, is a point that cannot be missed because there's a lot of diabetics who are highly insulin resistant but they're very thin. And so what we know, again, is... The, the underlying problem here is insulin. It's not the weight, it's insulin. However, obesity is one other expression. So some people are overweight, yes, but they're not diabetic. And maybe they don't have PCOS in the case of women, but they still have the insulin resistance and it still has to be addressed. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Department Podcast. I'm your host Seamland and our guest today is Dr. Nadja Bataguana. She's a naturopathic doctor from Canada who also works at Dr. Jason Funk's clinic. Dr. Nadja, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we, we did our first podcast uh, like uh, two years ago, I think, and uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. So you just said earlier that you actually moved from, into Portugal. So how's, how's life in Portugal? Oh, it's great. We've been here for, I guess, a year and a half or maybe a little, a little over that. Uh, so it must have been just after we spoke, but I, I didn't remember that I had been that long. Yeah, it's, it's been quite a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, for those of you who are hearing from you for the first time can you give us like a brief backstory as well of how did you got into medicine and uh, you know being a doctor absolutely my pleasure so i actually don't remember if we got into this at all the last time we talked but i remember we had a great uh a great uh podcast a great interview and i even posted it on my on my things as well but i started i've been in a naturopath for I don't know, 15, 16 years now, I graduated in Canada, as you said, from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. And at the time, a couple of interesting things were happening. I think one thing was I definitely wanted to go into complementary medicine because I thought I would get the best of both worlds. And I, I believe that I probably did uh, to a certain extent. Um, I also decided to move back to my home country. So I left Canada at the time. As you can tell, I, I like to hop around a little bit. But I left Canada at the time and I went back to Mozambique, which is where I am from, uh, my country of birth. And I lived there for 10 years and I worked there. So my very first practice was actually in Mozambique. So for 10 years, I worked as a naturopath, but in Mozambique. And just because of circumstances, I ended up getting into the nutrition field. Um, As a naturopath, I had... I didn't have much else to offer. And not just that, I was surprised that so many people in Mozambique actually were looking for help with metabolic syndrome. There were so many people uh, suffering with, at least in the city where I'm from, it's a very, it's a nice, uh, busy city. 
mm-hmm. uh, full of, uh, as I often say, you know, I thought I was going to Mozambique to help the poor and starving people. And I ended up working with the affluent and very well to do mm-hmm. sort of community. But unfortunately, people were dealing with the same uh, concerns that the people in the Western uh, world are facing, which is metabolic syndrome, right? A great mm-hmm. proportion of the adult population uh, is struggling with obesity and diabetes and all the other expressions of metabolic syndrome. So very early on in my career, right away, I would say, I had to learn how to address this uh, because this is all people wanted from me. They wanted me to help them with uh, metabolic syndrome. At some point in my journey, very interesting part of my journey as a naturopath is that we started to link uh, another uh, concern. It seemed that women that were uh, struggling with fertility and reproductive health were doing very well when they followed this diet that supposedly was for diabetes and weight loss. All of a sudden, these women that were struggling with fertility were showing up and telling me that they were pregnant. And I have some very interesting stories uh, from pretty early on in my career. And so that was, it was interesting, but it wasn't something that I was, um, I was interested in it, but I wasn't necessarily, it wasn't my focus. I wasn't a fertility doctor and therefore I just kind of tossed it off as, well, this is a byproduct of detox, quote unquote. Mm. That was a word that we used quite a bit back then, right? Mm-hmm. helping people to detox and elimination diets. And so it was kind of like a byproduct. I didn't really have a great explanation. I remember this one couple coming to me. Uh, the husband was in shock. He wanted to come to the, to the visit with his wife because he wanted me to explain how is it that all of a sudden, after 13 years of infertility, she was pregnant. And I didn't, I didn't know how to explain it. And he, he was adamant that it was because of my diet. It was the only thing that had changed. And she had been doing this for three months. And all of a sudden, she was pregnant. And they'd been married for 13 years and had gone through numerous fertility measures. And she was much older now and she was pregnant. And in fact, that, that case, she ended up having a miscarriage and getting pregnant again within a couple of months. And she had a a baby boy. So very interesting things. But so of course there was something there. I just didn't know about it. So then as, as life goes with me, I believe in karma. I always say this, I think kind of life leads you, if you allow it, it leads you to a certain to certain discoveries in certain places. So um, at some point I developed uh, fertility concerns and mm-hmm. I linked these things together. I then discovered that I had PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, which of course is related to insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia and is the root cause that ties obesity, diabetes and PCOS and probably many other conditions together. So then I started to connect the dots and realize that this is why a low carb diet had helped uh, so many women. And I thought maybe it will help me as well, because even though I, I preached this diet, I didn't actually follow it myself. Unfortunately, I was a very thin child growing up. I was a very thin adult. And so, of course, when you're thin, you never think you need to follow any kind of diet. I actually had a terrible diet. Um, I was snacking and eating small amounts all day long and mostly sugar and carbs and processed carbs, uh, to make it worse. And so, yeah, I developed uh, PCOS. I, I couldn't get pregnant. And then when I was able to tie this all together, I decided to go on my diet, quote unquote, my diet at the time, which was a very strict low carb diet that I was prescribing to people and I got pregnant. Of course, and the story wouldn't be as much fun if I didn't tell you that, right? And so uh, a couple years later, sort of same same thing, 
um, I wasn't smart enough, quote unquote, at the time, I think, to make it a lifestyle. I did it just to get pregnant. I didn't actually follow any kind of healthy diet throughout my pregnancies. I ended up having a lot of pregnancy complications as a woman with PCOS um, is very prone uh, to having uh, pregnancy complications. And I did. Um, and then I learned from that. I learned from that and I was able to take what I had learned personally and professionally and, and bring it into my practice. So fast forward a few years, I went back to Toronto, started working with Dr. Fung and Megan Ramos at the Toronto clinics in Scarborough um, and, and, and working for, at the time, the intensive dietary management program. Now it's called fastingmethod.com and I've been with them ever since. Hmm. Yeah, it's a really fascinating story, and uh, it's also like a pretty uh, curious, or it's 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 a great to see, or not great, but uh, kind of points out that metabolic syndrome itself is like really predominant uh, throughout the entire world. Like I said, uh, even people in affluent countries as well as uh, third world countries, they still experience it, and you know because food itself has become so like overabundant, and especially like these cheap carbs and uh, cheap processed foods. This is exactly it, Sim. And I think that um, I was saying to you that I, you know, I was, of course, because I had a business, right? My practice, my clinic was a, was a private clinic. And so I was seeing mostly the affluent, well-to-do people. But as you drive through uh, even the countryside and in South Africa, uh, you know, in other, other countries in Africa, in India, in China, we're seeing this more and more, right? Metabolic syndrome and obesity is rising among children, among adults, because as you said, uh, not only is there an overabundance of certain foods, it's that processed uh, foods are cheaper than mm -hmm. real foods have become cheaper. And so that's what people are having access to. And that's very sad indeed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, healthy food tends to be more expensive, but at the same time, like your health is more valuable than uh, just, you know, uh, being uh, kind of scarce with uh, what kind of food you eat and, you know, choosing the cheaper ones. That's very true. But the knowledge is power, right? You know yeah. that. I know that uh, a lot of your listeners uh, uh, thankfully know that now, but not everybody does. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really, it just depends on what you have access to. Most of the people that we work with and that listen to us do have access to to uh, real healthy food if they wanted mm -hmm. to. And really, you know, it's a combination of um, what you eat, but it's also how you eat. Right. Yeah. So the, 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 the idea of intermittent fasting uh, really is, is one that we have to bring back because it's not a new concept. Right. Dr. Mm -hmm. Fung talks about this all the time. We didn't invent <laughs> fasting. He didn't invent <laughs> fasting. Yeah. Uh, it really it was it's something that we've done since uh, the beginning of time. And, and we just kind of got away from it and started eating. And really, because of what we eat, we end up eating all day long, which is what was my case, right? Because I didn't like, so ever since I was a little kid, little girl, I hated uh, meat and vegetables and I wouldn't eat them. I just wouldn't. So it's not that I was vegan or vegetarian or carnivore. It was nothing ethical. It's just, I didn't like mm -hmm. meat and vegetables. Okay. So I was equally uh, disliked both. And so I would only eat carbs. And because I only ate carbs and by carbs, I mean uh, grains and fruit and any junk that I could have my hands on, whatever I was allowed to have, because I ate this way and I would never have it with enough protein and enough fat, I, I had rebound hypoglycemia. So an hour or two later, I was shaking and I needed to eat again. Of course, we thought 
that this was because I, I was low in sugar and because I was so thin. And so it was just one of these things that I just, over, I, I, you know, it, it was a negative feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot. I see this a lot in thin people and I see this a lot in overweight people. You know, when people start to tell me that they have hypoglycemia and that an hour or two later they need to eat, then I know that they have hyperinsulinemia most likely. Mm -hmm. And that rebound hypoglycemia is because of what they're eating and how they're eating. Yeah. And it's also like a, sh a sign of a lack of metabolic flexibility. Like you shouldn't feel hypoglycemic if you skip a meal because your body has like a ton of tons of and tons of fat or like tons of calories inside your adipose tissue that you can tap into. But like most people, they can't do it because of this well, uh, poor lifestyle. This is so very true, Sim. But what we're actually seeing with these people is right away, you can fix it very quickly by having them skip meals. Yeah. They actually stop shaking. Uh, if they actually start to space out their meals, of course, because as you're saying, they're getting a bit more stable. They're not getting so much of the up and down. Of course, you have to adjust what they're eating too, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if they eat naked carbs, it, you know, most people, if you just eat naked carbs, like just fruit on its own or carbs on, on their own, then a couple of hours later, you're gonna, that, that insulin spike is gonna create a dip. And of course, much more so in people that are not metabolically healthy, as you said. So really, it's about learning how to eat and what to eat. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what you teach in uh, the uh, IGM program. That's right. Now called the fasting uh, method. Nice, nice, yeah. Uh, but you have an upcoming book with uh, Dr. Fung about PCOS. So uh, let's talk about it. <laughs> awesome. So the PCOS plan, it, it's coming out in April, uh, this April, April 2020, um, is obviously something that, uh, you can just uh, imagine how excited I am and how passionate I am about it because it not only details part of you know my journey, of course, but it details uh, many other people's journeys. And because I was uh, lucky enough to write this book with Dr. Fung, we were able to go into the science behind it. So understanding how PCOS is related to obesity and diabetes, what insulin is and what insulin resistance is and hyperinsulinemia, because it's really important that you understand the root cause, you understand the problem if you're going to solve it. PCOS is not a new condition. It's actually a very common condition. It's the most common reproductive uh, and endocrine condition in women in their reproductive years, right? So premenopausal women, it's, it's, it, the incidence of it is probably anywhere from eight to 30% of young women. It's maybe even more. Um, and and the, the conventional treatment for PCOS, even when in my case, when I was first diagnosed, you know, if you're a young woman not trying to conceive, then you're put on the pill, right? The birth control mm -hmm. pill, which doesn't address the root cause, right? It's putting, as Dr. Fung would often say, it's putting a bandaid over a bullet hole. And if you're trying to conceive, then you're put on fertility uh, treatments, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, uh, you have lower, unfortunately, lower uh, reproduction because you have um, menstrual and ovulatory concerns, right? Irregular menstruation, irregular ovulation. So it's not that PCOS women are infertile, but they have irregular menstruation and ovulation because of the high insulin. Mm -hmm. So when women come to their doctor, again, very common, the great majority of people, uh, women in fertility clinics are women with PCOS. And by great majority, I mean over 50%, probably more mm -hmm. like 80%. So it's, it's great for, it's great for business, but they're not addressing the root cause of the problem. And why does this, and, and again, as I said, I'm very passionate about this and our book overemphasizes uh, this because this is the message that I would like to, to put out there. Mm -hmm. 
it's not that PCOS women are infertile. You will, you will likely get pregnant, um, whether it's through IVF or through uh, oral medication. Women with PCOS actually are very successful at fertility treatments right. because they have a lot of follicles, right? Yeah. Can we also talk about like some of the basic science of PCOS, like what it is and uh, how does it affect uh, people? Absolutely, absolutely. So just to finish off this thought, my, my biggest concern is not that PCOS women won't get pregnant. Of course, that, that, period, that journey to get pregnant is very challenging and it, it, it uh, affects a great many women, but it's women with PCOS that do get pregnant and they haven't resolved the root cause of the problem, as I said earlier, have much higher incidence of pregnancy, serious pregnancy complications. So that's what we're trying to address. We're trying to prevent, prevent and reverse PCOS, mm -hmm. okay? So let's talk uh, about, thank you for reminding me. So what, again, what is PCOS? As I described it, it's polycystic ovary syndrome. It's very common, as I said, it's very serious, very debilitating because it doesn't only, it's not only a reproductive concern, it's also now we know a metabolic concern. So mm -hmm. first and foremost, it's diagnosed, it's, as I said, very commonly diagnosed uh, by two out of three uh, things. It, uh, when women uh, express, um, clinically express an excess production of male hormones, so we're talking about facial hair and body hair, mm. uh, we're talking about acne, uh, uh, male pattern baldness, so baldness at the, you know, at the top of your head. So these are obvious physical signs of something that for a woman would be devastating. If you can imagine being a young woman uh, with acne, facial hair, and, and baldness, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is one of the expressions. Uh, the other one is irregular cycles, as I said to you. So irregular menstruation, irregular ovulation. So of course, as you get into your uh, reproductive years, that's a major problem, right? And then uh, the third um, clinical expression uh, of PCOS is uh, cysts on the ovaries that can be seen on ultrasound. So if a woman presents with two out of these three, then she's diagnosed with PCOS. This is very common. Okay. All right. Obesity, as you see, is actually not part of, so being overweight is not part of the diagnostic criteria, although a great big number of uh, women with PCOS are either overweight or have central obesity, again, because of the underlying factor, which is insulin, but you don't have to. Like in my case, I was very lean, I was very thin, and there are many uh, thin women with PCOS. But again, they have, I had all three of these expressions. So even though I wasn't obese, I had all three of these. So it's the insulin, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not weight. Okay? Okay. We have to realize it's the, it's the insulin, it's the insulin resistance, the hyperinsulinemia. And yeah, so, Go ahead, go on. No, no, I was just going to say that it's quite important to realize that you can be insulin resistant without being overweight. Like you can be like this, you know, thin on the outside, but also fat on the inside. And especially like insulin resistance itself isn't like always associated with carrying extra body weight and vice versa. Absolutely. And that I think is a point that cannot be missed because mm. there's a lot of diabetics who are highly insulin resistant, but they're very thin. Yeah. And so what we know, again, is the, the, the underlying problem here is insulin. It's not the weight, it's insulin. However, obesity is one other expression. So some people are overweight, yes, but they're not diabetic. And maybe they don't have PCOS in the case of women, but they still have the insulin resistance and it still has to be addressed. What's the problem with, with this, uh, whether you're thin or you're an overweight PCOS woman, is that, again, you're... Uh, have 
high levels of insulin and uh, insulin resistance, and you're gonna have a much higher incidence of developing all of these other metabolic um, syndrome conditions, like obesity. Like in my case, I was thin, but the minute that I got off the birth control pill and I started trying to conceive, I started to gain the weight right away, especially in the abdominal area. So that, that, that it would have continued to develop as well, right? It would have gotten worse and worse. In my case, as you said, more around the organs, which is even uh, more troubling as far as health concerns. So I had fat around my liver, fat around my pancreas. I did develop diabetes. I did develop hypertension. So women with PCOS have a much higher incidence of having these concerns, these metabolic concerns, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer. There's a very high risk of um, certain types of cancer for women with PCOS. I had thyroid cancer um, a few years after my, my, my pregnancies. So these are all related and they're all related to insulin. So again, we have to address the root cause of the problem, which is the insulin and not, uh, not everything else, not the, mm -hmm. not, not the, the, the symptoms. Right. Uh, are there like any hormonal imbalances that can also cause this like estrogen or something? Well, it is a hormonal imbalance because insulin in and of itself is a hormone. But what we've discovered is we used to think of insulin as a metabolic hormone only. But in fact, insulin obviously has reproductive functions as well. So the insulin in PCOS specifically pay, uh, plays a big role, the biggest role, but it's because it affects two major organs. It affects the ovaries. So it produces in the certain cells of the ovaries, it, it causes an overproduction of testosterone, which is a male hormone. So there's a hormonal imbalance there. And all these expressions that I told you about, these, these uh, excess hair growth, the acne, the, the, the baldness, that's from the excess testosterone, but it also affects the liver. So the ex, extra insulin causes the liver to underproduce um, something called sex hormone binding globulin, which is a molecule that attaches to the testosterone and causes it to be inactive. So if you have less of this, of this molecule and more free testosterone, then testosterone is going to roam around the woman's body and exhibit all of these uh, expressions, like the, the, mm -hmm. the acne, the, the hair growth, the, 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 the baldness, and it's going to affect your menstruation, right? It's going to, you're going right. to have an abnormal menstruation, abnormal ovulation. The central obesity is also related to that. So a lot of, most of this um, is related to the testosterone, the free testosterone, this free roaming testosterone roaming through your body. Mm -hmm. And uh, are there like any, let's say, life-threatening <laughs> scenarios or consequences to this besides, you know, infertility and those sorts of things? That's a very good question. So this is the thing is that it's not just a bother, right? It's not, as Dr. Fung would say, this is not about just a little bit of acne and a few missed periods. This is pretty serious. Uh, not that acne and, and missed periods is not serious. It is, uh, but it does lead to these very serious uh, conditions. And, and as I said to you, myself, even before the age of 40, I had diabetes and hypertension and cancer. So yes, it does lead to these, to these conditions if, it's not, if the root cause is not addressed. So yeah, I could get pregnant very easily, and a lot of women could get pregnant very easily with fertility treatments, but it, it, getting pregnant and having IVF or having fertility treatments is not going to address the root cause of the problem, so you're much more prone to having all of these concerns. I started talking about uh, pregnancy and pregnancy complications. These pregnancy complications are very serious, not just for the mother, but for the baby as well. 
So you could have a much higher incidence of gestational diabetes, of preeclampsia and eclampsia, and then the baby has a much higher risk of many um, neonatal uh, concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, definitely like, uh, you know, the quality of life will also suffer. Just you're going to feel awful <laughs> if your hormones are out of balance and, uh, and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very debilitating to, to, to have PCOS. And, and, and women actually suffer... Uh, nowadays, luckily, there's a lot of support groups and there's a lot of, because it's such a common condition. So there's a lot of support groups. There's a lot of resources for women with PCOS. You know, from a very biased perspective, when I look at a lot of the resources, I'm not always happy about what I see Mm -hmm. because uh, still conventionally women are being told that they have to address certain things when really they need to focus on mm-hmm. the root cause, which is insulin. Right. Over so, insulin. Yeah. So how do you go about uh, treating it? Well, you go about uh, looking at, as I said, you know, now that we know that the problem is insulin, but the root cause is insulin, hyperinsulinemia, then we have to figure out how to lower insulin. First of all, we need to understand insulin. You know, how does the body produce insulin? It produces insulin every time that you eat. It produces insulin when you, more insulin when you eat certain things, like the processed carbs and um, so you're gonna produce more insulin if you consume sugar, grains, and processed carbs, less insulin if you produce more um, healthier fats and proteins. So you need to know how to do uh, how, what to eat, right? And then third, you're gonna produce a lot more insulin the later in the day that you eat. So there's really three things to address. You wanna address how often you eat, what time you eat, and what you eat. And then you can address, you can lower insulin. So you can lower insulin through lifestyle. There is no medication really effective uh, enough in lowering insulin. There are some like metformin that uh, do attempt to make your cells more sensitive to insulin. And, and, and metformin in and of itself has been used as a fertility uh, measure hmm. for many women. But again, it's not going to lower your insulin and it's hmm. not going to lower uh, it's not going to take away, if you're consuming a whole lot of sugar, it's not going to take that away either, right? So mm-hmm. looking at lifestyle, there's very efficient and uh, successful methods through a lower carb, real food diet and, and proper intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's quite simple if you look at it, so to say that, uh, you know, the uh, low carb lifestyle itself isn't uh, that it's, it's not going to actually like uh, wreck your hormones as it's portrayed to do right. in the, like the mainstream media. I, I completely agree with you. It actually, some, I say this all the time when I work with, with people in general, I, I work with men as well with diabetics and people with obesity. But when I work with both men and women, I say this all the time. It is that simple. And the reason why it's so repetitive, I'm constantly repeating the same things because I want, first of all, we're trying to create a new concept, right? We've been fed a whole bunch of myths for, for so many years, right? Eat small meals many times a day, calories in, calories out. This is what people are hearing over and over and over again. And they believe it. They believe eat less, exercise more. When you put a woman with PCOS on an eat less, move more diet, um, not only is it not successful, it's so frustrating and people feel like they're failures. And really when you tell a PCOS woman, eat less, eat less calories, she's gonna eat a lot more carbs. She's gonna reduce her fat intake. And it's just gonna, it's just a negative feedback. It's just, it gets worse and worse. Her cravings will get bigger and bigger. She'll constantly crave more and more sugar. 
right? Because she's eating more carbs. She's not eating enough fat. So she's never satisfied. She'll eat more often mm -hmm. and she'll eat all day into the night. Like I used to, <laughs> and you're just creating a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And so then they're following the advice that they're being given, but they feel like a failure because they never succeed. Yeah. So then it's their fault, right? Yeah. They think. Yeah. So it's, it's like a matter of information and knowledge. Like we talked earlier that once you have the right knowledge, then uh, everything else will uh, eventually like fall into place. You just have to like put it into practice and have the right information. Uh, but in addition to like uh, carbs and fats, I think the protein tends to be the most undervalued nutrient uh, for both like men and women. And especially when it comes to just managing uh, obesity as well as uh, insulin resistance. That's true. You need to have adequate amounts of protein. And, and, and again, if people are counting calories and, and worrying about how many carbs am I having and how many calories, then they end up falling into the trap of um, a lot of these um, foods that are, I, I don't want to call them foods, but a lot of these uh, sort of products that are out there, low carb products, keto products, and <laughs> things like that, that are uh, promoting, um, you know, they have no calories, they have no carbs, but really they have a whole bunch of other things that are going to raise your insulin. So mm. it's really about trying to get people to, to consume real food. And that means consuming an adequate amount in the, the right types of, of carbs. If you, you know, uh, mm -hmm. how, how, and a lot of people like to macro count. We actually don't, we're not big on macro counting. Our book doesn't focus so much on macro counting, but it does focus on, choosing your foods and combining them with the appropriate amount of protein and natural fats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, what, what, what's your stance on like having some carbohydrate refeeds? Like um, they say, well, at least some people would uh, think that uh, women especially would uh, benefit from uh, increasing the carbohydrate intake around like certain times of the month. Or for instance, if they're trying to uh, be, get pregnant or if they have a child. I think this is a very, um, it's, it's a, I want to say it's a newer type of concept. Remember that we're going from women only eating carbohydrates, right? PCOS mm -hmm. women are basically eating carbohydrates all the time, all day long. They don't actually eat more. That's the other problem. They don't actually eat more than other women. They just eat more carbs or they crave more carbs because of the insulin resistance. So they're already uh, naturally. So when women come to me, uh, I don't have to worry about that part yet, Sim, to be totally honest, because I don't have to worry about refeeding them carbs. I don't have to worry about them not eating enough carbs. Most mm -hmm. of the time they're eating too many carbs too often. Right. So I do know what you're talking about. I do know that there's a big sort of conflict, even within the low carb world of this carbohydrate refeed and carbohydrate loading and when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. But the women that I work with are having carbs all the time and too many right. carbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of uh, context and the individual, like uh, right. someone who is training hard and someone who doesn't have like any metabolic syndrome, then for them, the carbohydrate feeds can be useful. But yeah, like I wouldn't uh, prescribe a diabetic to start eating like on a bunch of carbs. <laughs> that is very true. And I do work with people uh, that I respect and admire very much who are very big on this carb loading, carb refeed day. And actually, they when they explain it, they explain it very well. But when I'm working with people, I'm uh, many times I'm working on getting somebody who can't stop eating all day long, or can't stop mm -hmm. craving all day long. So the idea of introducing carbs at that stage, uh, they're already eating a lot of carbs. Like I said, right? We have. To, I, I'm. My job is to get them to eat uh, adequate amount of protein and natural fats, so they feel satiated, so that they can 
can eat full meals and stop snacking and grazing. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, the biggest part of this journey. And I I, I speak at at certain conferences and I speak in um, low carb conferences. And one of the uh, one of the things that I mention in my in my lecture is actually a, a little bit of a message to our community, our low carb community, the experts, quote unquote, in our community, where I say, you know, we're all we're trying to establish the same thing. We're trying to get people better, right? And while, while we're out here fighting about 20 grams versus 30 grams versus 50 grams of carbs, right? There's all of these people that we're trying to, to help. And so I, I really don't like to waste time fighting with people in my community. Not that we're here to fight, but you know, discussing this, I think it's completely, as you said, I think it's completely fine if somebody like me or you or somebody who's metabolically healthy today and exercises, if you feel right doing a carb load day, I think it's completely appropriate. Right. Yeah. I, I think it works for me, for example. Uh, yeah. I don't think I need it to be honest, but I think that I can get away with doing it. I see a lot of people that in the beginning of their journey, they can't get away with um, more than a certain amount of carbs. Then there's a whole carb addiction thing too, right? right? We're working with people, although I'm not an addiction specialist at all, it's not my field, but we're working with people that are really struggling with addiction, with hmm. food addiction, carb addiction, sugar addiction. So we have to be very cautious about when and how we reintroduce certain things, I think. Mm-hmm. And what, what about uh, intermittent fasting then? Uh, how long would uh, women with PCOS fast? That's a great question. And you, you did bring something up earlier that I think um, totally goes hand in hand with this, which is the cyclical nature of women, right? Because we have a cycle, we have a menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. I think there are certain times of the month where it's safer and easier to fast. So I do follow a cycle when I work with women, especially women trying to conceive, right? So I think that the first half of your cycle, not only is it easier, it's safer to do a little bit of a uh, longer fast. If that's our objective, it depends on the goals, right? If it's a woman uh, trying to regulate her cycle, if it's a woman trying to lose weight, then it might be appropriate to do some uh, longer fasting periods. And so it's safer to do so at the beginning of the cycle. Once you reach uh, the halfway point through the cycle, then you're hoping and, and uh, watching for ovulation. And after that, then we get into what's called time-restricted eating. We just focus on having full meals, right? And no snacks and full appropriate meals, real food. So feeding properly. Mm-hmm. So I do follow a cycle. The other thing about uh, a lot of women with, with PCOS and insulin resistance and men as well, but um, mostly in this case, the cyclical nature, men don't have this cycle, of course, but women at a certain point, in their cycle will feel an, uh, an insulin rise. And that's when the cravings start. We often call that PMS, right? So that's a natural uh, hormonal shift. Um, as, as you enter the luteal phase of your cycle, your uh, insulin response to foods increases. So you're more uh, insulin resistant. And so as you get nearer and nearer to your, to your, to the, to your period, right? To your menstruation, then it gets, um, you crave more carbs and you're more bloated and you have all these symptoms of, of insulin, uh, hyperinsulinemia. So that's a time to work on certain things uh, when it comes to diet. I usually work with women on increasing their, their maybe fat intake uh, and just feeling fuller and eating less carbs around that time of the cycle so that you're not feeding that insulin uh, beast, as I call it, because it, insulin is getting bigger and bigger. And so the more carbs you consume during that part of your cycle, the bigger your 
um, the higher the insulin level, the higher the insulin resistance. So I actually work in that type of cycle where I'll do a lot more fasting from day one to maybe around day 10 or so of the cycle and then more time restricted eating from about halfway through until the beginning of the cycle. That's for women trying to conceive. Mm, yeah. And uh, would you would you recommend uh, women to fast or do time restricted eating when they're pregnant, for example? That's a good question. Uh, we don't get into that as much because we don't work because we're a fasting program. We don't work as much with pregnant women. So mm-hmm. pregnant women, we would, uh, I have, there's a great referral that I have for women when they get pregnant, great books, great resources out there about a lower carb diet an appropriate real food diet for, for women when they're pregnant. But we, we don't encourage women to fast. No, when they're, when they're mm-hmm. pregnant, we encourage them to uh, address their concerns. So a lot of the women I work with, as I said, are women that have PCOS or insulin resistance. So you don't want them to eat a whole uh, a whole lot of carbs because they're more prone to gestational diabetes. And it's a very real and very likely to happen if you don't address it. So I do recommend a real food. Um, and as I said, there's some really good resources out there. A really good one is by Lily Nichols. I don't know if you know, uh, if you've heard of her, but she's got two books, Real Food for Pregnancy and Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. So, and she has some great lectures out there on YouTube and uh, she speaks at conferences as well. And she talks about just real food, lower carb, not, not necessarily low carb, but it's lower carb uh, mm-hmm. diet for women that are pregnant. And I, and I, 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 that's what I believe in as well with time restricted eating, which basically just means you're eating full meals and not snacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of the times, uh, although you may be fasting for longer, the, just the bigger meals themselves will satiate you for longer as well. And you end up not wanting to eat, uh, either. Yeah. And that's true for most of us, most of the time, but when you're pregnant, it's slightly different. So you want to adjust yeah. to that, right? Because um, of course there's a, <laughs> there, you're growing a baby. And so it's a, it's, um, an anabolic, uh, mm, yeah. condition, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, uh, no, no reason to try to, uh, induce a, a ton of, a ton of like autophagy when you're pregnant. <laughs> there's no, no is, point. In that's very true. So we want to, you know, you, we want to address this, yeah. uh, appropriately. And, and of course you want to prepare women. I also, I'm not going to go out there and tell women that you need a whole bunch of carbs uh, during pregnancy because I don't think that's true. And I think if you're insulin resistant and you already have all these issues to contend with, I think that uh, eating too many carbs, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that you need to be on a strict low carb diet. There, there is an appropriate amount of carbs for each individual, depending mm-hmm. on where you're coming from. And mm-hmm. I think Lily, uh, as I said, she's a really good resource for this with, with evidence-based uh, information. Yeah. Uh, what's your stance on like the uh, plant-based versus uh, meat-based foods? <laughs> you want to put me on the spot here today. <laughs> I think um, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a very solid opinion, I think, on that. First of all, our program, the fasting method, is a very inclusive program, meaning that we support and respect people's choices, uh, dietary choices. And I, I really believe, and I think our program overall believes, that you can fast properly with any dietary choice. But we encourage a real food, lower carb, uh, higher, healthier fat, appropriate protein diet. And that can be a plant-based diet and that could be a meat-based diet. Of course, nowadays we're getting, uh, as I was talking a little bit about the carb loading before, you're getting people in this field 
kind of going, uh, uh, having some conflicting information or, or kind of going at it with each other, right? Because some are going more plant-based, some are going more uh, meat-based and you've got the vegans and then you've got the carnivores, right? <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of in-between. I personally am somewhere in-between. So that, but that's a personal, uh, personal choice and, uh, sort of what I call sort of informed, uh, choices. This is what I think is right. I would much prefer an omnivore type diet. Again, I, I fully understand why some people, uh, go more plant-based, whether it's for ethical reasons or others. And I fully understand why people go carnivore. In fact, I work with a lot of people mm-hmm. as clients that are following a carnivore diet, whether it's for, um, short term temporary kind of like an elimination diet or whether it's because they just feel better on it and that's what they want to follow and there's a lot of really good resources for carnivore again a lot of really good resources so i tend to be the person who i look at it and i think okay carnivore it's real food you're doing well you know how to supplement appropriately great Mm -hmm. and very few, I have to say, it's not, not a ton, but I, there's a few uh, vegan people that I work with that do very well as well. And I think that the reason why maybe vegan people don't do as well generally is because there's a, they're consuming a lot of processed stuff, a lot of junk mm. food. Yeah. Yeah, like any diet can be unhealthy if it's That's like right. just based on these uh, processed foods as well as just eating too frequently. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's a that's a good answer, and I I totally agree. Like uh, most people uh, do better with an omnivore diet, and like like it's it kind of, it kind of goes with like a bell curve that some people will be fine with a vegan diet, some people will be fine with a carnivore diet, but like the vast majority of people are still in the middle, so to say, like you know they're uh, moderate. Well, it's easier, right, to get your. Uh, nutrients that way it's easier mm. it's not, not, I'm not saying that you can't get uh, your nutrients well of course we know vegans can't get all their nutrients I mean that's just a matter of fact you have to supplement and that we can't argue with I mean I I, do, I don't know how you're going to get uh, certain nutrients from an all uh, plant-based diet mm-hmm. and the same goes for carnivore although you can if you know how to uh, and of course I'm sure people from the vegan uh, camp will say no but you can get b12 from this and that and etc cetera, etc cetera. And the same with carnivore, right? I mean, for you to do carnivore long-term, you have to be able to uh, eat organ meats. You have to eat uh, bone marrow and bone broth. I mean, nose to tail, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's more difficult. Not, not yeah. to say that it's impossible, but it's more difficult to do it long-term safely. People have done it seasonally very, very, I mean, for forever, right? And we know, um, and the, the Big Fat Surprise book by Nina, you know, she talks about, and, and many people talk about certain um, cultures, communities where they ate only animal based uh, for at least parts of the year seasonally. Mm-hmm. And they did very well um, because they knew what they were doing. They'd done this forever, right? So they had nose to tail and they had appropriate amount of fat, not just uh, lean meat or lean fish. Uh, and so people can do very well, I think. However, it's easier. Yeah. to eat uh i think it's easier simpler maybe yeah. but some people don't do well some people really don't do well with with um maybe because of like you said metabolic damage and everything else they don't do well with yeah. plants at all and they do much better with just meat and uh, as much as people don't like to hear that i think that's the reality right 
Yeah, well, yeah, he does address the symptoms and uh, helps the person to get get all out of the uh, disease state. And but you know, at the same time, it's like uh, if you avoid plants all the time for the rest of your life, then you're also going to um, predispose your body to be intolerant to those same plants just because of avoiding them. So it's a kind of a trade-off. So you have to kind of know, yeah, like uh, what kind of a trade-off are you willing to make? That is very true. And like I said, luckily for me, <laughs> I get to talk about PCOS and diabetes and obesity and, uh, and intermittent fasting with the, the, the help of a real food, low carb uh, diet. But I'm not, I, I, I'm really not the resource for people wanting to do either a plant-based or a carnivore diet. Uh, there are great resources out there. And when people yeah. want to work with me, and they want to choose one or the other, I'm very happy to work with them uh, because I, I can send them off to good resources and make sure that they're doing it appropriately. And really it's a choice, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's a choice, an informed decision. Uh, speaking of like these uh, supplements that you mentioned, like are there any like medications or supplements that can be used for PCOS? That's a great question. In fact, I think there's way too much information on that already as it is out there conventionally. I think PCOS women are always on a million supplements because they've been told that all of these things are going to help and none of them address insulin. Right. So I actually think that PCOS women are over supplemented. Hmm. They're hoping for that magic supplement, magic vitamin, magic pill, when really, I'm not saying they're not helpful, they might be, but they're minor factors. The major factor is addressing insulin. Mm. So I actually can't think of one supplement that I think PCOS women have to take. I think PCOS women have to eat fuller meals, rich satiating meals, less often. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's yeah. what PCOS women need. And believe me, I talk to PCOS women, obviously every day with pleasure. It's my passion really. And it's, you know, if I'm, I'm either starting from scratch because they're, you know, they're young women or they're um, people who are not, uh, they're really struggling, or I'm talking to people that are way advanced. They've been doing this on their own. They're doing great and they just need a little push, but they all come from the same place. They come from eating, from just craving uh, mm -hmm. and grazing all day long. Yeah. And a lot of the time, like for instance, uh, these uh, diabetic supplements or uh, supplements that lower insulin, they all work on the same mechanism as fasting and keto does. So you can get like similar results by just, you know, skipping meals and uh, reducing your carbs. Right. And I don't, I don't know that they're all that successful. That's what they're intended to do, but I don't know that they do that uh, very well, these supplements and even medications, unfortunately. There isn't really anything out there that successfully lowers insulin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Good old fasting, although it's not like very innovative. <laughs> yeah, it's not new. It's definitely not new. It's good old, as you said, good old fasting. Yeah, it's very very old. What about exercise and uh, you know being uh, working out? So exercise is is again a difficult. Uh, I'm happy to talk talk about it, but it's one of these uh, contradict. It shouldn't be contradictory, but it ends up being very contradictory because exercise in and of itself doesn't actually address insulin, mm -hmm. okay? But indirectly, it can, it can do a whole lot. So exercise is very, very important. It's very important for building muscle. It's very important for your mental health. So it's very important for lots of things, but it will not uh, address the, the insulin, Okay, your, your overproduction of insulin and really your insulin resistance. So 
it's, it's a bit of a concern when doctors recommend to PCOS women, again, that they eat less and move more. So eat a low calorie diet and exercise, because again, they're not going to get results by doing that. They're not going to address the root cause of the problem. I'm not saying that women shouldn't exercise, quite the opposite. I think women should exercise. But if they're not following a real food, lower carb diet with intermittent fasting, they're not going to address the problem. So they're not going to get better at least not better enough to see results and to sustain it. Yeah. So yes, I think people should exercise, but no, I don't think exercise is the, the, the solution for PCOS. I think it makes things, it makes everything better. You're going to yeah. sleep better. You're going to have better mood, et cetera, et cetera. You're also very likely, and people say this all the time, right? They feel hungrier, which is fine. You can, there's, it's no problem to feel hungrier because guess what? A low, a proper real food, low carb diet is not low calorie. So if you're hungry, just eat more. Just don't eat more often. Eat more at your meals. Yeah. So it can get very easily addressed if you're guided properly. Yeah. yeah like the thing with exercise is that it's going to make you more insulin sensitive and it's also going to increase the amount of like uh, glucose you can tolerate. But at the same time, like there's too many people, you know, doing a bunch of cardio at the gym and then uh, shuttling down like a glucose drink or drinking a juice <laughs> right at the juice bar. So they're going to jeopardize all of the results. So uh, yeah, like the diet, it's, you can't read out exercise, a bad diet in a sense. And uh, putting more gasoline on a fire isn't going to make it better. Yeah, I, I, think you're, I think your point is very valid that uh, exercise, so exercise post-meal lowers your blood sugar, right? Mm -hmm. It, it makes your muscles more insulin sensitive, mm -hmm. but it's not going to make your ovaries more insulin sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> this is the problem with, with overemphasizing on exercise. And I want to say this as many times or the best way that I possibly can. I'm not ruling out exercise as a very important major factor, uh, but it doesn't address the root cause of the problem. So it's, it's, it's one added uh, tool, right? Mm-hmm to women with PCOS and to really to people in general that have insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. I think it's utterly important because of all that it does to your body and your mind and your sleep and all of these fat, your stress levels and all of these factors, but it's not going to significantly impact your insulin, not as much as you need it to. And when people overemphasize on exercise, again, I'm not saying for you to not exercise. I'm saying when you put all your eggs in the exercise basket, you're not going to get to address the root cause of the problem, which is overproduction of insulin because of eating too many carbs, too much processed food and eating too often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for example, the, um, the point I was going to make was, uh, yeah, like the exercise itself can also can raise cortisol if you overdo it. And uh, that's going to also raise insulin. So it's another vicious cycle. So this is why. a very good point. And you know, this happens to women with PCOS. It happened to me. And it's the type of exercise. You just have to address the type of exercise. Not all exercise is going to work very well uh, for all uh, people. Like, for example, I am somebody with a lot of, a lot of uh, I think, adrenaline as it is. And when I do certain exercises like kickboxing, for example, it raises my cortisol too much. And I can tell I've, I, I've been there, done that, you know, <laughs> uh, I only do well by other types of exercise like swimming or walking or yoga or, you know, certain weight bearing exercises that don't raise my cortisol a ton. And a lot of other women with PCOS probably uh, go through the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the worst kind of exercise would be this chronic cardio. 
uh, or chronic like high intensity interval training those things are the most uh, damaging to the hormones and especially cortisol sort of so if you, you can very easily overdo them and a lot of people think that they should do these kinds of exercises all the time because they are burning the most amount of calories and uh, they're getting them right. to burn and uh, they're getting a good sweat on so they think they're you know giving themselves a good favor <laughs> but in yeah. reality you know the the weight bearing exercise tends to be kind of very the best for at least uh, improving mm-hmm. insulin sensitivity and uh, general uh, metabolic flexibility that's very true and that's the one thing that i think a lot of people in our in our lower carb world kind of uh, tend to agree on when it comes mm-hmm. to exercise is we very much ag- tend to not completely disregarding other types of exercise, but there's a lot of incentive for people to do weight bearing exercises uh, and resistance training for many reasons. I think other types of exercise can be beneficial to certain people. It, it is about individual uh, N equals one, right? I mean, if you, if you feel well doing a certain type of exercise, exercise is important. It should be part of everyone's lives uh, for a number of reasons, okay? But again, you need to combine, as you said, you can't out-exercise a bad diet, especially if you have a condition like PCOS, which really uh, diet, uh, what you eat and how you eat is going to have the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say for someone who has you know, uh, diagnosed or you know, seen that they have PCOS and they've also taken these steps that we talked about to improve it and they're seeing like they're getting better uh, and maybe like their symptoms are also going away. So... Uh, would their approach change after you know uh, treating the, the the symptoms? That's a great question. You know, PCOS, just like diabetes and obesity and all other metabolic syndrome conditions, are diseases on a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So they get better and they get worse. So I, I I don't know that you get to a point where you so you lower your insulin. For sure, and you lower your insulin, and you see results. You see, you see improvement, like I did, right? My my skin is clear, and et cetera, et cetera. I was able to ovulate and have children, and all these wonderful things. My diabetes is gone. My hypertension is gone. Um, you know, I was able to burn off the fat around my midsection. But I have to keep my insulin levels low. Not just me, you, and everybody else, right, Sim? Because as soon as you start to to increase your insulin levels again, you're going to have expressions of hyperinsulinemia different expressions. So we're trying to keep that away. So I think that there is, I think I understand your question in that there is a sort of treatment quote unquote protocol, right? There's a certain amount that you have to do in order to reverse the condition in order to reach your goals. And then there's probably a maintenance type protocol, if I, if I can call it that, just to make it clear. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for me personally, nowadays, I do very well with what's called TRE, time-restricted eating. So I don't do a whole lot of fasting. I don't do a whole lot of long fasts. Uh, I might prep to do a longer fast, as, as you and I probably agree, every once in a while for the benefits of autophagy and stuff, not for weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, I try to do a little bit of a longer fast. I prep for it. It doesn't, it's not something that is easy for me to do because I don't do it often. I don't have a whole lot of body fat right. as it stands. Um, and so I only do it strategically and because I really believe that, it's, uh, that it, it, it does me some good. It's good for my immune system, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. otherwise, I really just focus on time-restricted eating and following a real food diet uh, as best as I can. Not to say that I'm perfect. I, I do think that a lot of things sneak into my diet. I do think that a lot of times, like we were talking about earlier, 
I can get away. I have some uh, metabolic flexibility, so I, I can get away with a higher carb at times. Mm -hmm. But again, would I eat a higher carb diet all the time? No, I wouldn't because I would just raise my insulin all the way back up again and have all the same expressions that I had before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's about just keeping your body in balance and uh, right. not going back to the old habits or old uh, eating, eating uh, choices that just make you sick again. That's right. That's right. So for me, maintenance is very easy, especially because this is a life fasting. Intermittent fasting is a lifestyle. It's something that you do to a certain level, depending on each individual and your goals. Um, but it's, again, it's not new. It's something that people have done uh, since the beginning of time. And all I do is I eat meals. I eat full meals. I don't snack. I eat within a reasonable eating window. And I keep my meals uh, at a certain distance, and I do what works for me. And and, I, and that's that's it. That's what each person has to do. They have to do what works for them to reach their goals and then to stay healthy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, is there anything like any topics that we didn't cover that you would like to add? Now, I think you covered a lot of topics. You were asking me a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> I don't know that I want to throw out any more difficult things out there. I think I think you did great. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a good uh, like I'm I'm not I don't have PCOS and uh, probably won't get it either. But at the same time, like there's a lot of people uh, who uh, definitely love to hear this kind of information. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I so it's, it's been great talking with you. And like uh, before, I ask my last question: uh, Where can people learn more more about your work and uh, where can they get the book? Thank you. So um, I, as I said, I work exclusively for the fastingmethod.com program by IDM. Um, I'm one of the coaches or we have, I work with many other wonderful coaches and, um, I'm on social media, uh, at Nadia underscore Pateguana. So you, I'm sure you could put that somewhere in there for people so they don't mm -hmm. have to figure out how to spell my last name. I have uh, an Instagram account and a Facebook account, um, where you can get the link for the pre-order of the book. The book is called the PCOS plan. Uh, by myself, Nadia Pateguana, and Jason Fung, Dr. Jason Fung. And the link, as I said, is on my social media and, and on our website. So you can get that if you're interested. We also have a lot of resources on PCOS, diabetes, obesity, intermittent fasting, real food, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds good. And I'm, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. So uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner? This, you know, it's repetitive, right? I said, I warned you, but it's uh, eat fuller meals less often. Yeah, yeah, that's a good advice. <laughs> I that's wish I, I wish I also started. Uh, well, maybe not sooner, but yeah, definitely like uh, that. I picked up on it faster, so to say. Well, I don't know if it's possible to pick up on it any faster than you did. You wrote your first <laughs> book. You were how old? <laughs> uh, I was uh, twenty-one. Well, there you go. I don't know if you could go faster, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always room for improvement. So, yeah. That's right. Well, All thanks right. for coming to the podcast and, uh, yeah, looking forward to future work. Thank you so much, Tim. Again, it was a pleasure. All right, that's it for this episode. Make sure you check out all the links in the show notes as well for the topics that we're discussing here. Thanks for listening. My name is Sieb. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.